0: During the season of Advent, which is the four Sundays prior to Christmas, Um, as you know, the lectionary readings always have an Old Testament, a Gospel, an Epistle, and a Psalm. Um, And the lectionary is on a three-year cycle. So the Old Testament lessons for Advent, for the four Sunday in Advent, uh, throughout those three years, seven of the twelve Old Testament lessons are drawn from Isaiah. And Isaiah is a prophet uh, in the Old Testament. You know, know him from Handel's Messiah and from many other, other familiar texts. Um, but Many read his writings and his prophecies as predicting Christ, and others read uh, his writings as being consistent with who Christ was when Christ came. Um, but we are reading today from Isaiah 11:1 through 10, which is one of the more familiar readings, and then that will be uh, the basis of the sermon. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the serpent's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, as we gather today, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. And may these words point to Christ, whose birth we await, whose strength we crave, and whose gifts we seek to claim and live with. In the name of Christ, amen. One of the most familiar and beloved Christmas carols was written in 1867 by Phillips Brooks, who was the rector of Trinity Church, Boston. The carol is "O little town of Bethlehem. In addition to being quaint and beautiful, its third stanza expresses a terrific Calvinist concept. Even though Brooks must be forgiven for being not Presbyterian, but Episcopalian. The stanza is this. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ is Enters in. in this stanza, the word gift is capitalized. The wondrous gift is given. It is a reference to Christ. And in the next lines, the hymn makes the bold promise and claim that not only is Christ himself the gift, but also Christ brings with him a series of gifts for our benefit. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. Two weeks ago, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I preached a sermon in which I said that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry during his temptation in the wilderness, Jesus refuses to use the power he has to turn stone into bread, to rescue himself from death, And to bring his rule and reign to the earth through using the political and economic power of all its kingdoms. In the same vein, I said that at the end of his ministry on the cross, Jesus refuses to come down from the cross and save himself from death. I said that in both these instances, Jesus holds back on using power that he has so as to place freedom and responsibility and power in our hands. It is as if Christ's refusal to save himself from the cross is his way of entrusting the world to us. Now that evening, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, Maggie and I began a Thanksgiving trek to Iowa via Cleveland where her 97-year-old mother lives. We got to Cleveland midday on Monday. Her mother had already listened to this sermon on her iPad, which to my delight she does every week, using a device that in my my low-techness I don't even own. But she, whose husband was a minister and whose father-in-law was a missionary, she who has listened to no telling how many sermons from Presbyterian ministers in her 97 years greeted me by saying, this was one of the best sermons you've ever preached. For the first time, for the first time, she said, somebody has finally explained to me why Christ just didn't get down from the cross and save himself. He wanted us to take responsibility for the world. Now you can imagine that her comment made my whole Thanksgiving week. Several days later, after leaving Cleveland, driving to Iowa, spending it with with Maggie's family there, several days later we began the long drive back to Alexandria under a gray Midwest sky. The Christmas carol was floating around in my mind on the long trek across I-80 in the Pennsylvania Turnpike. And the Thanksgiving greeting from my mother-in-law was in my mind as well, both of which affirm the tremendous power and responsibility that we have been given as humans. When I get back to the office in Alexandria, I open up the passage before us for this week, the passage that we've just read, it contains the beautiful words from Isaiah that most of us know from Edward Hicks's multiple paintings, The Peaceable Kingdom. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard and the kid shall lie down together, the calf and the lion and the fatling together. We know these words, we've seen them visualized. But for some reason this year, my eyes move up the page a bit to the opening verse of this passage. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. Now having driven across the prairie in which the colors have fallen to the ground, and having arrived home to leaves in my yard, brown and unraked, which they still are, I notice that this passage in its opening verse is a promise of new life. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. Then I remember that Jesse is the father of King David, and that David is, an, is a descendant of Christ. And I realize that these genealogical connections are a major reason that Christians read this passage in Advent. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse. The shoot, the branch, the new life is Christ, David's descendant, even called by Matthew, the son of David. You've got to keep following me along here. Then looking a little deeper, I learned that in the preceding chapter of Isaiah, chapter 10, the people of Israel have seen their land destroyed. They have been carried off into exile. And they have interpreted that devastation of their present moment as God's response to their failures and unfaithfulness. It's an interpretation a bit more punitive than I normally think of God, But it's an interpretation found in this text that they held, so be it, so be it. Thus, when our chapter 11 opens, the people of Israel seem to be standing in the midst of a hollowed out and smoldering forest, a land that shows no signs of life other than the smoke and ash beneath their feet. Think Gatlinburg, smoke, and ash. But in this desolate state, they hear the voice of one of their prophets, Isaiah. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. It's a sign of life in the midst of death, of new growth emerging out of destruction. Then the people hear that this shoe to come up from the smoldering ground beneath their feet will be nothing short of royalty. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness shall be the belt around his loins. This is a vision given to the people of Israel, God's people, in exile. And it is a vision of a new ruler, a new king, a liberator, one who rules with both justice and strength, a Messiah for whom they yearn. I then noticed that the promises that God makes concerning this ruler to come, this one hoped for and anticipated from the stump of Jesse, involves some gifts. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. I do a bit of homework on these phrases, and I find that the Spirit of wisdom and understanding involves the practical wisdom of facing reality and dealing with it squarely. The spirit of counsel and might involves the right combination of diplomatic and military judgment, particularly needed in a ruler. And the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord involves an appropriate piety and ultimately a reverence for God. These gifts that are first mentioned in Isaiah are what we Christians believe Christ brings. What the stump of Jesse brings as we exercise his rule in the world. We call these the gifts of the spirit. They are the blessings of his heaven rhapsodized in the carol. They are the blessings that Christ imparts to human hearts, that we might use them in his world. To to connect the Episcopalian beauty of the carol with our Presbyterian seriousness, I found a comment that Calvin wrote on the passage from Isaiah. 300 years before the hymn was written, Calvin said, Christ came... Not empty handed, but well supplied with all gifts, that he might enrich us with them. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. So in this sermon, I've moved from a little town of Bethlehem to that was the best sermon you've ever preached to a shoot from the stump of Jesse to gifts of the Spirit. Is there a straight line that runs through all these texts, as straight as the drive I made from Iowa to Alexandria across the eastern half of our nation? There is. There is. If two weeks ago my theme was that Christ gives us the freedom to exercise responsibility for his world, this week the theme is that he gives us the gifts with which to exercise that freedom and exercise it well. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Christ's promise and provision of these gifts to us are frankly the reasons that I remain hopeful at least most of the time. I'm hopeful because we have the freedom to shape the world according to God's will. I'm hopeful because we have the responsibility to shape the world according to God's will. And most of all, I am hopeful because Christ has brought us the gifts We need to shape the world according to his will. I know it seems like these gifts are in short supply or rarely used these days, as though everyone is stockpiling them from future use and keeping them away from even authorized gift inspectors. I know that so many of our families, our marriages, our working relationships, our friendships, our churches... Our communities, so many of these are frayed. No one's using wisdom, understanding, and counsel, and might, and knowledge, and reverence of God. I know it seems like that. It's easy to feel we're standing in that burned-out forest, smoke and ash beneath our feet. I see that. I feel that. I experience that. I'm anything but naive and oblivious to suffering and evil and devastation in the world. I know the need we feel to say to all for whom we're responsible what the sergeant on one of the few television series I have ever watched in my adult life used to say on Hill Street Blues in the 1980s to his officers before they went out on the street every morning, what was it? Be careful out there. I know that we need to be careful out there. But I also know that in the burned out forest in which we live A tiny shoot sprouts up from a branch. A shoot from the stump of Jesse. A shoot that will eventually become a king in Jerusalem and which will eventually lead to the birth of a different kind of king in Bethlehem a thousand years later. I know that when the one born in Bethlehem arrives... Through him, we will have come to understand ourselves to be freer than we have ever understood ourselves to be free.
1: I know that when the one
0: born in Bethlehem arrives, he entrusts us with this great responsibility for his world. And I know that when the one born in Bethlehem arrives, he doesn't arrive empty-handed. And I know... That if and when, in the meekness, in the humility of our souls, we will receive him, the dear Christ enters in, and the reign and rule of God truly begins. Amen.